just explain what's happening up here. Um, and also, I've seen at least one person happening out there. Um, we've been using this concept of the counterculture revolution of the tie-dye shirt. And last week, Walt wore a beautiful tie-dye shirt that was made for him. And he was like, Tim, do you have one? And I was like, no. And he's like, that's okay. I will let you use one. So today I get to join in the tie-dye revolution, but I had to spiff it up just a bit. Um, but anyway, so that's what's going on up here. As we open, our, open the word of God today, I invite you just with me to spend a moment in prayer. Lord, your word is powerful. Your word contains truth. And so as we spend a few moments this morning talking about it, may the truth of your love for us, the truth that you have for us, the truth of your grace permeate our lives. Please open our hearts, our minds to hear your word spoken. Break me so that I am not seen. So that is just Jesus alone. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. We have been taking the last few months, and if you will catch, I got up here with my car keys, and I want those. Um, we've been taking the last few months to look at the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning ten verses that contain the well-known beatitudes of Jesus given to that crowd that had gathered on that mountain where Jesus sat down and spoke with authority, giving these blessings, these proclamations of joy. And if you've been around, you know that we have been talking about how when we are aligned with Jesus, when Jesus is in our lives, the joy that permeates our soul will be unstoppable. And he begins his sermon by talking about the joys of following Jesus. And so we have worked through this progression of discipleship from the poor in spirit to the those who mourn, the meek, the righteous, the merciful, and today we arrive at the pure in heart. And given everything that's happening this weekend, I couldn't resist when I had to think of a title for my sermon. So today's sermon is entitled, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Um, if you walk out whistling a tune, eh, I'm sorry, but not really. Um, but hopefully by the end you will see that it's more than just trying to play on the, the great events of Monday and um, what we're talking about today. But we have progressed through this discipleship track, this, these steps of following God, and we arrive today at verse 8. And it simply says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or as we've been translating it, Oh, the joy of those who are pure in heart. For they will see God. I would be lying if this week, if I can be a little transparent, um, I would be lying if I said that this process 
of looking at this verse, especially this week, has been a bit challenging for me. I feel like God has been calling out and saying, you need Tim to look at your life. Because as I look at the Beatitudes so far, I can get behind them. It's easy to admit that I'm poor in spirit. It's easy to, you know, hunger and thirst. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. To me, that seems easy. But when you get down to be pure in heart, to me, this beatitude stands out just a little bit from the others and grabs me and causes me to tremble, to use another line from a song. It causes me to tremble as I just realize what God is asking. But the trembling maybe comes from a misunderstanding of what God, what Jesus was teaching on that mountain. Because while these are the characteristics of somebody who is truly following God, we often look at the Beatitudes as a litmus test as something that will define and we'll be able to look at and know that, hey, I am meeting the goal. I am doing what's right. But the moment that we do that in any time of our life, the moment we that say that I think I've got it under control, we have taken the focus off of God and put it on ourselves. And the moment we do that, no matter what we're talking about, it becomes something that is counter to the gospel of Jesus. The Beatitudes, while they do define and describe someone following Christ, the Beatitudes are a statement of grace. They are a statement of what God wants to do in our lives when we allow him to work through us. And it is only through that working that the Beatitudes have any power in our life or that anything that we do in our Christian walk has any power in our life is only when it comes through Jesus. I imagine on that hill, I always imagine that there's a group of Pharisees, of religious leaders following around, and I can almost see them when this beatitude, when Jesus said, the pure in heart, I can almost see them for a second standing up and saying, amen, that's right. Because I think that they, the, the Pharisees, as they were trying their hardest to help people be pure by rigorously following rules that would keep them a hundred steps from the edge of any temptation. And I can imagine that as they heard this, they stood up and were like, yes, we've been doing that. But pure in heart, clearly Jesus was indicating more than just ritualistic purity. The Pharisees might have thought they excelled at this. But they were yet still missing something. 
Because Jesus goes on in the next verses, as the Sermon on the Mount unfolds, he begins to talk, give a couple sayings about, you have heard it said. The first one is in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said that you shall not murder. But then Jesus takes it and says, no, I tell you, for you're even angry in your heart. Or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you even lust in your heart. The purity that Jesus is looking for and describing goes far deeper than just any surface appearance. Jesus is explaining the pure in heart. It is something at your core. Oftentimes, we, we, in our culture, we kind of understand um, the, the importance of the heart. And I've even sat through lectures and, that have given studies on research that say that the heart itself actually has the ability to think and feel. And it's a little bit crazy, but it makes a whole lot of sense that the heart itself actually has this connection. And we kind of understand that. In, in some languages or in cultures, that's not quite understood the same way. And so sometimes the concept of this might be translated like in their liver. Be pure in your liver. Or even be pure in your bowels, in the depths of your soul. Be pure. And that's what this is saying. It is saying this is not just some surface purity that God is talking about, that Jesus explains for the people. This is something that is in the heart. And the Bible tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Jesus in Matthew 15 And I didn't write this verse down, so I have to hopefully remember it very fast. In chapter 15, somewhere in chapter 15, I cannot remember the verse, and I have read articles that say I should never admit that as a pastor, but I have to today because I forgot it, so please do not think less of me because of this. Um, Somewhere in there, it talks about the heart being the center of all things that are bad. Somewhere in this chapter, there's an assignment. Find it. 19? Thank you. I was so very close. Verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So Jesus is saying we need to be pure in heart while we know the heart is deceitful, and out of our heart comes evil things. And so this helps us understand that what Jesus is asking of us is more than just a strict adherence to a set of rules. It is a changing of the very core of who we are that Jesus is looking for when he says that we will be filled with joy when we are pure in heart. In the Old Testament, 
in Exodus, the Israelites are in the desert when they receive the Ten Commandments. Often, the Beatitudes are kind of seen as the Ten Commandments of the New Testament. And they, of course, we, we always love the New Testament things because we feel like it's filled with that extra special power of grace that just wasn't in the Old Testament. But I want to just take a moment to slide back to the Ten Commandments. Now, it is a little hard to make the Beatitudes truly line up, even though some authors that I read this week were trying to do that. I find it difficult because there's not, you got to kind of split in hairs to make ten Beatitudes. Um, you have to do certain things, but Jesus connects the Beatitudes to the commandments, so I feel that we can do that as well today. And so we look at this, we can say, well, the Beatitudes are a statement of grace. But the Ten Commandments, and I want to take a moment to just talk about that for a well, I already said a moment. Um, I want to take a moment to talk about that, period. Growing up, and even in my adult life, when we define what Christianity is, so often we define it by what it is not. We define things from the negative. And so often we feel that the Ten Commandments are those thou shalt not rules that define what we should do and give us the fence that we need to live in. But there is something amazing about the Ten Commandments that is lost in translation. Yes, another area where the English language fails to communicate what God is trying to say. The concept of this in Hebrew is that there are a couple types of negatives. There is the classic stop it, don't, knock it off. There is that negative. But there's also a different kind of negative. And as you look at the Ten Commandments, and I don't want to go into all of this, but it is amazing as when you look at covenant language in the Old Testament. You begin to see this concept that comes out. And what the Ten Commandments are really saying is when you are in relationship with God, here are the things that you will not do. When you have a relationship and an understanding that it is the Lord God who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who freed us, who walked us through the sea, who freed us from the chains, when you understand that and begin to have that relationship with God, this is what your relationship will look like, and you will not have any other gods. You will have no need for other gods. When you are in that relationship with God, you will not do these things. It is, it is not the thou shalt not so you fit in the fence. It is the this is what your life will look like and be defined by when you are in that relationship with God. And the Beatitudes are the exact same thing. The Ten Commandments and Beatitudes are so similar, and they are both statements of God's grace. Because it is only through the grace of God that we have any hope of being pure in heart. This week, 
has been a rough one in our country. From the horrific events that took place in Charlottesville last week, last Friday evening, last Sabbath essentially, those events were just unthinkable. But I have struggled this week as I've been looking at this pure in heart, as I've been looking at the situation that Jesus spoke in, I have been just burdened down to depths of despair that I can't explain by the things that I see put out about what's going on in our country today. And it was... Maybe Wednesday a headline came across that just made me gasp. I just was, I couldn't believe it. It was essentially saying that because of what's happened and how certain people in government have responded, that moral authority is up for grabs. That moral authority is up for grabs to a political party to grasp and have for themselves because the current political party is seen as having no moral authority. I have watched Christians, people that I know, put malicious memes out that are filled with venom, describing how it is the opposite of their stance, the opposite of their side that is causing the problems in government, in our culture, in every place today. And the problem is, is that no political person, activist, anybody in government, that may be a broad statement, is acting from truly a position of being pure in heart. They are acting in ways to say, how can we get more votes to our side? How can we push our agendas, and they are not looking to defend or to help the situation from a pure and heart standpoint, that standpoint that says, I will give up everything. I will put self behind, and I will do what is right. And I have struggled this week because I so often think it just, it seems to me, and this is my opinion, it seems to me that we are looking for Salvation to come for these problems through some political decision or path that we can take. Forgetting that the sides that are battling right now are good and evil between God and Satan. That is who is waging the war. And if we are not looking to Christ and Christ alone to help us face the challenges in our country, the challenge that we have relating to people, it is going to fail. And it is failing. It is not a matter of a side or a path. It is that the path is evil because it is human. And when we want to stand up as a church and be pure in heart... 
I ask, have we lost our ability to stand as the moral compass? Because somehow we are not doing it right. And Jesus, as he was dealing with the crowds of people around him, the war between the Pharisees and Sadducees and those who were not religious leaders, the war between the Jewish nation and the Romans, the desire to get a race of people out so that another one could rise up. Jesus was dealing with those very same things. And he described this path of being meek, of being merciful, of being poor in spirit, of being pure in heart. And I challenge us to always remember that the answer does not lie in a political path, that it does not lie in legislation, that removing things on the surface will not change what is in the heart. Because pure in heart, the purity that God is talking about does not start from the outside and work inward. It starts from the inward and works outward. And we can remove, we can cover, we can destroy, we can do whatever we want to something that we think symbolizes evil. But if we do not change what is on the inside, if we do not become pure in heart, covering and removing things on the outside does not make any change in our lives. I believe I'm off my soapbox now. I want to get back into Scripture, and I think that this story, this, this concept of purity beginning on the inside and going outward is so crucial to understanding what God is looking for. Because a pure heart produces external purity, not the other way around. In Matthew chapter 19, Matthew tells a story of the, of the rich ruler. We call him the rich young ruler. Um, I think I've preached on him before once here and explained that um, you have to go to about three different gospels to get that name. Um, just this rich ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responds, well... You must keep the law. And he lists them off. And the ruler says, all these things I have done since I was a child. And then Jesus says, the next thing you need to do is sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he walks away sad because he has a lot and doesn't want to do that. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from that story. But what I saw in it, in just tracking this pure in heart concept, was that no amount of us trying to meet the standards and even meeting them because this man claimed to have kept all of them since he was a youth. He kept these rules, but yet was still missing something. 
the purity, the feeling of God in his heart was not there because he was focused on the outside. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Everyone, everyone thanks you for that. I've been fighting a cough for about six weeks now. Um, I'm pretty much over it. Not over the cough. I'm over having the cough. Um, so how do we get a pure heart? Because it is not something we can do on our own. If you have your Bibles and have been following along, <coughs> I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to just look at three verses in the New Testament that talk about purity. There's about 110 times or so that this word is used throughout Scripture. 30 of them are found in Exodus. But 2 Corinthians, I think we see how Paul describes receiving purity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. That's from the, King, the New King James Version. I wanted to read it out of the New English translation because it becomes a little clearer. There's some textual challenges in this text that scholars debate over. And this is what it says, first, Second Corinthians 1, verse 12. For our reason for confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that with pure motives, pure motives coming from in, that the, the character is focused and motivated solely by what God wants, pure motives and sincerity, which are from God, not by human wisdom, but by the grace of God. The purity that God wants for us to have is something that is found only in His grace. It is not something that we can strive for to earn. And I know this is... This is such a backwards thing because you take an external picture of something, a moment in time of somebody, and you just can't tell by looking at the outside whether it is an outside facade or if it is permeating from the inside out. This is why God asks us, tells us, do not judge others. We have no idea what it, can, what it is. We can work and two people can be exactly the same they can look exactly the same, but it can be for two entirely different reasons. And it doesn't matter where the end result is. It matters what the motivation is. 
And if the motivation is, I am going to do this, then it is counter to the gospel. But if the motivation is, I am in a relationship with God, and God is filling me with this power of his grace, and the result of that is things that line up with what he wants, then it's completely different. Purity is different when powered by the grace of God. It stood out to me in in the prayer that was mentioned this morning, the prayer just about the excitement and hope of the second coming. And it just hit me because that's exactly where we're going next. I invite you to go to John, 1 John. 1 John's near the end of the Bible. Um, a couple books, four books right before the end, Revelation. But 1 John chapter 3. And I'm just going to give some context to this. A classic verse that a lot of us have probably sung as a song, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been revealed to us what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, this is verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. What was the hope? The hope was of God revealing himself to us. And that hope is the hope that purifies us just as he is pure. Our hope in what Jesus has promised us for the future, our hope in that Jesus has promised to come back and take us home, that hope will drive us, will power us to become purified in heart, to become pure as he is pure. And the third and final way, the third and final way that I think we discover purity in our lives is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse looking unto Jesus keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith oh the joy of the pure in heart Oh, the joy of those who have aligned themselves, who have allowed God to fill them with the Spirit, to align themselves focused, solely focused on Jesus. That is when purity of motive, that is when purity of thought, purity of mind, purity of our whole being will become a reality in our lives. And the beauty of this, of all of the Beatitudes, is that while there is future expectation of looking to Jesus coming back in his second coming, 
the reality of each and every one of these Beatitudes is that they are a collection of things that are also present realities. The present reality of the poor in spirit is theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. The spiritual reality that those who mourn are comforted now. That the meek inherit the earth now. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled now. Those who are merciful obtain mercy now. And those who are pure in heart see God now. Through the eyes of faith, we can see God working and begin to understand what it is. And these are the promises that God has given us that Jesus spelled out that day sitting on that mountain that we can be called sons and daughters of God now. And that is what we are. Friends, the joy of following Jesus is just that. It is a joy. And if you feel, if the devil is pushing you down and causing you to feel like you don't add up. The Bible tells us that we don't add up. (laughs) He's telling you the truth, but through Jesus, through the grace of Jesus covering us, we are told that we are covered in robes of righteousness. We are given these joys that this is what your life can be like and these are the rewards that you can have now. I have been challenged this week to examine motives of my own. But I'm reminded that it's the love of God. It's the love of God working in my life that gives me any hope of anything at all in life. And that there is no place that you can possibly be where God can't grab a hold of you and begin to create in you a clean heart. David cried out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a spirit, right spirit within me. That prayer is available to each of us. God has called us. God has covered us. And God has given us a new name, sons and daughters of his. So while the pure in heart concept may seem daunting, understand it is the gift that God is offering through his grace that says, when you're with me, Oh, the joy you will have of not worrying about your motives, of not worrying about your thoughts, of being focused solely on me. That is what God offers us today. And I want to reclaim that promise in my life. And the, and the opportunity is there for each one of us here today as well.
we can reclaim that promise of the joy of living a life so in tune with Jesus that it begins to look like what's been described. It begins to look like how, like Christ. And I pray that we in this church, in our spheres of influence, can be lights of pure motives when it seems like there is not one to be found in our world. And through the grace of Jesus, we can be that. Let's pray. Lord, today we find ourselves longing to see purity in our world, to see pure motives, to see to see you lived out. And Lord, our prayer today is that we can be that light. And so Lord, this morning, we just again pause and pray and ask that you will fill our lives, that your spirit will live in us in such a way that we will become poor in spirit, weak, merciful, hunger and thirst, that we will be pure in heart. We can't do it without you, God. And so we fall on the wonderful, saving name of Jesus, asking these things.